shall assemble on the mountain. We shall assemble at the throne with humble hearts into his presence. We bring an offering of song, glory and honor and dominion unto the Lamb, unto the Well, good morning. Welcome to Preston Crest. We're glad you're here. Whether you're here in person or you're still joining us virtually, we are thankful that you've chosen to worship with us today. If you're visiting with us, we're particularly glad you're here, and we hope you'll give us a chance to get to know you, hang around afterwards, and so that we can say hello. As always, we'd ask that those members here check in at the number that is on the screen, 469-476-5331. You can do that by texting the word check-in to that number. We use that so we can uh, know who has joined us this morning and so that you can, when you do that, you'll automatically get a digital copy of our bulletin, which is full of activities and opportunities for you to get involved, lots of prayer requests, member updates, and other announcements, so we'd encourage you to do that. By the way, we get a list every week of the physical attendance, and we get a list of how many check-ins, so a lot of you aren't doing that, so please do that. <laughs> Today is a very special day, and we are excited to be a part of it. Our church has uh, a history of having amazing young people that have come through this congregation and have done great things, and so we are excited today to honor our graduating high school seniors. It's an opportunity to say, as a church, how much we love and appreciate each and every one of them. It's an opportunity for us to give them kudos and make sure that they feel appreciated and loved. It's not simply to say goodbye, but to say good luck. It's an opportunity for us to encourage them as they move into their next chapter of their lives. It is our constant prayer that their faith will be strong and apparent wherever they may go, and that Jesus will be their Lord, not just their Lord of high school, not just their Lord of college, but their Lord of a lifetime. We are so very thankful that of your deep commitment to Christ. We're thankful for their willingness to follow him, and we're thankful for all those that have poured into their life throughout their time here at Preston Crest. We thank you for all of the volunteers that we've had we thank you for their parents who have stepped up and been involved in this, their activities in their life. We're thankful for all the other family members, their friends, all of the many volunteers and small group leaders that have chosen to be a part of their life. We're thankful for each of you who have lifted up prayers on their behalf. Um, they have been surrounded by love and it obviously has made an impact on their lives. One of the most important 
elements of their success in their life here at Preston Crest has been their PCYG leadership. Brian Borden has been amazing. Kelly Wilkinson has been an unbelievable support to him. We've had Alexander McCauley influence their life and Shelby Thornton Love, who has also been a big part of their life. And so we are so thankful for those people and the influence that they have had. This is a remarkable group of students. Most of them have been attending here since birth and um, Preston Crest has obviously gotten to know them in a number of different ways and they, as, as they have grown into faithful servants of Jesus. I'd like to invite all of our seniors to join us up here and line up in front. As a reminder, they will be given um, a Bible. It's a significance for their lifelong connection to this church and to God. One of the neat things that we are doing now with these Bibles is they were, uh, the Bibles were asked them to pass out to people of influence in their life and allow them to make notes, highlight scriptures that were significant to them in their life. And so we're hopeful that these Bibles will be something that they will have for the rest of their life. I'd like to read a scripture this morning as a blessing of encouragement, comfort, direction, and peace. It's from Joshua 1 and 9. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. All right. Let's introduce the class of 2021. As I call your name, please step forward. We'd also ask that their parents and grandparents, if present, stand wherever you are and be recognized as well. Please hold your applause till we've introduced everyone. Ethan Armstrong. Ethan is the son of Pat, Matt and Patsy Armstrong. He is graduating from Lebanon Trail High School. His plan for the fall is to attend Collin College. Zach Brown. Zach is the son of Trent and Pam Brown. He is graduating from Forney High School and his plan for the fall is to attend Texas Tech University. Julia Ray Carlton. Jewel, Julia, sorry, is the daughter of Sandy Carlton and the late Steve Carlton. She is graduating from the Carlton Girls Academy Homeschool. Her plan for the fall is to attend Community College or Stephen F. Austin. Caroline Forrester. Caroline is the daughter of Charles and Bethany Forrester. She is graduating from J.J. Pierce, and her plan for the fall is to attend Auburn University. Connor Gresset. Connor is the son of Lindsay and Lee Gresset. He is graduating from Wakeland High School, and his plan for the fall is to attend Texas Tech University. Bailey Johnson. Bailey is the daughter of Chip and Jackie Johnson. She is graduating from Liberty High School. Her plan for the fall is to attend Abilene Christian University. Grant Johnson. Grant is the son of Chip and Jackie Johnson. He is graduating from Liberty High School and his plan for the fall is to attend Harding University. Seth Johnson. Seth is the son of Chip and Jackie Johnson. He is graduating from Liberty High School and his plan for the fall is to attend the University of Arkansas. Brett Masters. Brett is the son of Monty and Julie Masters. He is graduating from J.J. Pierce High School and his plan for the fall is to attend Harding University. Hannah McClure. Hannah is the, Hannah is the daughter of Mark and Tara McClure. She is graduating from Frisco Heritage High School and her plan for the fall is to attend Texas A&M University. <laughs> Rachel McKinley. Rachel is the daughter of Rollin and Betsy McKinley. She is graduating from Plano Senior High and her plan for the fall is to attend Harding University. Reese Miller. Reese is the son of Stephen and Christy Miller. He is graduating from Plano Senior High and his plan for the fall is to attend Abilene Christian University. Chandler Dean Moody. Chandler is the son of Don Moody and the late Crawford Moody. He is graduating from J.J. Pierce High School and his plan for the fall is to attend Texas A&M University. 
Maybe at the beginning I should have said no applause and no whoops. I mean, but, uh... All right. Blake Nichols. Blake is the son of Chris and Emily Nichols. He is graduating from J.J. Pierce High School, and his plan for the fall is to attend Texas A&M University. <laughs> I have no control. All right. Caroline Nichols. Caroline is the daughter of Chris and Emily Nichols. She is graduating from J.J. Pierce High School, and her plan for the fall is to attend Auburn University. Lance Arthur Ramsey. Lance is the son of Chad and Lisa Ramsey. He is graduating from Hebron High School, and his plan for the fall is to attend the University of Oklahoma. Juliet Nicole Reeder. Juliet is the daughter of Bart and Janae Reeder. She is graduating from Plano West Senior High School, and her plan for the fall is to attend Oklahoma State University. Ariana Sias. Ariana is the daughter of Eugene and Marianne Sias. She is graduating from North Mesquite High School, and her plan for the fall is to attend Texas State University or the University of North Texas. Timothy Scott Wyatt. Timmy, Timothy is the son of Scott and Susan Wyatt. He is graduating from Liberty High School, and his plan for the fall is to attend Oklahoma State University. Let's give all these amazing graduates a round of applause. I would now, now like to ask the parents and the grandparents of the seniors to come forward, as well as the elders, as we pray a blessing over them for their future protection and guidance as they navigate their next steps in life. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so very thankful for this senior class, and we are thankful that you have brought them to this important milestone. We are so thankful to all of those who have impacted their lives and helped build a firm foundation on which their faith has and will continue to grow. Thank you for the family members, friends, teachers, role models, and mentors that have provided love and guidance throughout their lives. We pray that you will give each senior direction, purpose, and perseverance as they enter this next chapter. We ask that you fill them with an unquenchable desire to learn your word, and may they gain wisdom from you through prayer and study, giving them discernment and clarity as they face many new decisions. May they sense the freshness of your spirit over their lives in amazing ways. We ask that you would help them to live aware in a dark world and keep harm or evil intent far away, and that they would find security and confidence fully in you, knowing that you are trustworthy and true. We pray that they will have boldness to stand up for what is right wherever they work, study, or socialize. Grant them success, Father, for their efforts at every turn and use them as your instruments. Let them become teachers, but know that all wisdom comes from you. Let them become lawyers, but know that you are the ultimate law. Let them become physicians, but know that you who heal. Let them become ministers, but know that you are the word. May they be eager to do good and not evil all the days of their lives. Be a lamp for their feet and a light to their path. Shine over them. Fill them with your spirit. Bless them with your favor and peace. We pray all of this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.
You all can be seated. church, I know you are proud of these kids, and it wasn't just a few weeks ago that we had a baby blessing, and many of these kids were involved in that 18 years ago, and so I love that this church honors families, families of newborns as well as families of graduating seniors. We bless them, and we bless you guys. We're going to enter into our time of communion. We're going to sing one more song. And then Carl Gescheidel is going to come and lead us this morning around our communion. Lay your burden down, every care. church. So I know somebody who has recently received an unexpected gift. The person's been struggling a little bit, and this gift actually happened to be a tool that can be used specifically to help that area of struggle. After he received the gift, I saw something in his eyes that I hadn't seen in a while, something that I'm sure you can anticipate. I saw hope. Of course, at the end of the day, what that person does with that gift is ultimately up to them. To use that tool that was given to come out of the struggles is exactly the purpose of why the gift was given. It's not a far stretch to take this analogy to the bread and cup that we have before us today. 
as Christ died and was raised again, he has given us the gift of hope as well. We have a hope that was freely given to us. <clears throat> we have a hope that our struggles of sin will be overcome with the tools that God has given us through Christ. The bread and the cup are there to remind us each week of the hope that he has brought us. What we do with that gift, of course, like that person, is ultimately up to us. As we go through this week, let us remember to use those tools that Christ has given us and to have hope to overcome our struggles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the gift that you have freely given us. We thank you that you sent your son to die and be raised again. We ask that you help us to remember the purpose behind that gift each and every day, the purpose of hope. Let us partake of this bread in a manner that's pleasing to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you again to partake of the cup. Let us remember Jesus' blood that was poured out for each of us. Let the hope that you have brought us rain down on us each and every day and help us to take this cup in remembrance of you in a manner that's pleasing to you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, seniors. Good to see you guys. Um, if you want to give this morning, we've got a collection box out in the foyer. You can drop a check in there, or you can give online through our website or through church teams. Um, we're just trying to support the mission of God here at Preston Crest. We're trying to honor him with all parts of our lives, including our pocketbooks. So let's bow our heads in prayer. God, you are so good to us. We've been reminded of that in our time together this morning in several different ways. God, we're thankful for these seniors and for what they represent. Roots in Jesus that have been planted and nurtured here at this church. We're thankful for so many blessings that you give us just to be together. We're also thankful for your mission. Carry your mission forward through us in this mission field here in Dallas-Fort Worth. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing one more song. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church also during this song. And then Gordon going to come back up and, and uh, give us a word this morning. Every blessing you pour out, I turn back to
town last week and we missed you guys. We're back and glad to be back and thankful for Jacob and the message that he brought. Thankful for capable speakers when, when I'm out of the pulpit. So grateful for that. You've heard the saying, right, that a dog is a man's best friend. So you know you're having a bad day when your dog shoots you in the back. This actually happened. 2011 in the state of Utah, a duck hunter was headed out to do some duck hunting with his trusty friend. They were in a shallow, marshy part of a lake where he was going to step out of the boat and do some, set some decoys out there. And so he got out there just leaving his 12-gauge and his dog in the canoe, stepped out into the marsh, and bam, he got shot in the back. He was fine. 27 pellets of shot in his back, but he was okay. Sheriff's deputy sent to investigate, figured out that somehow the dog managed to discharge that gun. Now, the dog isn't talking. So we're uncle it's unclear on the motive, and it's unclear on exactly how he pulled that off. But you know you're having a bad day when... Your dog shoots you in the back. And sometimes, honestly, doesn't it feel like that in life? Uh, it feels like we're getting shot at. It feels like we're targeted. And sometimes it's even by those who are close to us, who are in our circle. And we're going to talk about that this morning in Nehemiah chapter 6, because certainly this leader experienced this. And we're going to see in chapter 6 just withering, constant attacks. He had a lot of haters. Um, and so we're going to talk about how to handle this with poise and purpose in our lives. We're going to learn a lot from Nehemiah this morning. Uh, now here's what we've seen about this guy so far in the book of Nehemiah. Here is a man who walked in, I'm going to go ahead and say, near perfect alignment with God. I mean, every step of the way, he's being obedient. He is building what God wants him to build. He cares about who God wants him to care about. He cares. We saw this last week a lot about the people around him who are suffering. I mean, this guy is tuned in to the heart of God and the, the ministry that God has put him on. He's a person of high character. And we've seen since chapter 1, he is a man of prayer, a person of faith. And so Nehemiah has had this incredible experience in life to just on a daily basis watch the power and provision of God on full display in his life. And his life was hard. His life was difficult. So let me say this right up front. You can ignore 
completely ignore the health and wealth prosperity preachers who tell you that having faith in God means a problem-free life. It means you get what you want. It means life is easy because Nehemiah's life would dare to disagree. So would the life of Ruth and Rahab. So would the lives of Peter and Paul. So would the life of Jesus. To follow God is an amazing and abundant life. It is not an easy life where you get everything you want. Amen? It's just not in the Bible. And Nehemiah is an example of a faithful person right in the middle of God's mission who is having a hard time because he was a faithful person right in the middle of God's mission. The walls of Jerusalem, as we come into chapter 6, they now stand. I mean, uh, they are up. There are no gaps, verse 1 tells us, anywhere to be found. The only thing lacking are the gates that need to still be installed in those gateways. If, if he were downloading an app, I mean, that bar would be almost all the way across. 99% loaded. This is the mission of Nehemiah. He is almost finished. And check this out. He had haters. Okay? I think this is a pretty good lesson for Senior Sunday. Didn't plan this. But as, as you guys go out in the world, and we want to see you guys do big things, we want to see you dare to follow Jesus, to be faithful in this world, you're going to have some haters. You have to deal with that. Nehemiah's opponents, now that he is so close to the finish line, they are more focused, more angry, more determined than ever to disrupt his work. I think of Nehemiah chapter 6 as a kind of kitchen sink chapter. There are these three people that represent a lot of opposition around Judah, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And in chapter 6, these three men are going to throw everything but the kitchen sink at this man, Nehemiah, to get him to stop the work that he is doing. I remember a guy named Sonny Merrill, a good old boy, who was my sixth grade civics teacher, had a lot of homespun things that he used to rattle off. One of them was that a dog doesn't bark at a parked car. And in life, critics don't criticize you unless you're doing something. I mean, if you want to avoid criticism, you can do that by just laying low and doing nothing. I mean, that's a way to avoid it. But he says in verse 2, Nehemiah says this about his critics, I realized they were plotting to do me harm. So he knew what was up, right? And the tactics, we're going to see this in chapter 6, several different shifts in tactics. I mean, one thing doesn't work, they can move on to the next. That doesn't work, they move on to the next. So we'll start with the first set of tactics here, verses 2 to 4. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafrim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. By the way, if your enemies ever invite you to meet them in a place called Ono, yeah, probably not a good sign. Stay away. There should be a warning to you. And pretty clearly, this was supposed to be a one-way trip. Nehemiah was going to head out there, out of the safety of Jerusalem, into the plain, about 40 miles from Jerusalem, onto their turf, and he wasn't going to come back. At least that's, that's what I imagine was the plan here. They were going to ambush him. And do you notice how Nehemiah handles this? Does he waste time with this? Does he... Does he have a big conversation, a big dialogue with these guys? Did he, does he spend weeks like going out there and having a series of, of, of Sinai Summit meetings with these guys or something? No, he doesn't do that. His work is too important to be delayed. It is too important to be short-circuited by these guys who he knows are up to no good. So four times they invite him. Four times he gives them the exact same answer. Nah. No thanks. Now, this is where I want to call a little bit of time out. The text this morning in Nehemiah 6 is about handling untrue criticism, unfair criticism. So we're going to talk about handling haters in the text this morning, dealing with criticism that is not constructive criticism. 
That's the focus of Nehemiah chapter 6. Now clearly, hear me on this, clearly there are times when you are on the wrong path, right? There are times when you are blowing it, when you're making bad choices and those who care about you, those who love you are going to speak words of criticism, words of rebuke, words of correction. At those times, you need to listen. Those people that love you, those people that care about you, you lean into that. It doesn't mean they're always right with their criticism. That's not what we're saying. But when you have a relationship with someone and you know that person loves you, they know you, they have sacrificed for you, which is not the case here in Nehemiah 6, but in this case where they know you, they love you, they, you listen to them, you pay attention. Proverbs 15, 31, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will have a home or you will be at home among the wise. That's just a way of saying you're a wise person. When you're getting rebuked, when you're getting criticism, if you're someone's like, hey, yeah, let me hear more about that. Let me think about that. You may have a point there. Then you are at home among the wise. And this is not the scene in Nehemiah chapter 6, okay? This is not the time to listen to Nehemiah 6. I mean, he should not have sat down with Sanballat, Geshem, and Tobiah. Um, so one important filter, and this is what I want to set out as we get into handling haters this morning. One important filter, do I listen, do I not listen? How much weight do I give this or not? One important filter is when it comes to criticism, you consider the source. When it comes to criticism, you consider the source. I mean, we don't, I, this is such an encouraging body of believers at Preston Crest. You probably just sense this, even if you're new here, you probably just sense this is a loving, encouraging place. But, but every once in a while, Barbara knows this, every once in a while, an anonymous note will roll into the office. What do we do with anonymous notes? We don't read them. Consider the source. Now, if I get a note from somebody that I know loves me and cares about me and I have a relationship with and they're sharing some thoughts that I need to think about, I'm going to think about it. But anonymous knows now. In this case, they weren't anonymous, but Nehemiah knew the source of this and he knew it wasn't a source he could trust. So when we hear this rebuke from someone that knows us and loves us, we pay attention to that, we lean into that, even when it stings a little bit. Great proverb here in Proverbs 27, uh, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Love that. Wounds, stings, rebukes, a, a hard word from a friend. I can trust that. Multiple kisses from an enemy, nah, not so much. They'll lay it on, but you know they don't have your best interest. And that, those are wise, wise words. So the people in Nehemiah chapter 6, these are not people that Nehemiah needs to listen to or trust. So he doesn't get distracted by what they're saying. Um, he is locked in on his project. He is locked in on his team, on his partners, those that are working shoulder to shoulder with him. His energy, his attention goes to that project and goes to those people, not to his haters. So look, you never do big things if you get distracted by small things. This is one of the reasons Nehemiah is so successful and why this work gets done so efficiently, so quickly. You never do big things if you're distracted by small things, and Nehemiah didn't get distracted. The haters, the enemies, their first tactic in chapter 6 we saw is kind of a, a surgical strike. It, it's very like we're just going to get him out here and we're going to take Nehemiah out of the picture. It's very private. It's very concealed. The second tactic, they're going to shift now because that didn't work. He didn't buy it. So the second one is going to be much more public, okay? Much more public. Verses 5 to 7. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me, fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it. <laughs> I like that. And Geshem also says it. That you and the Jews, what? You intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. 
And according to these reports, you, Nehemiah, wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king, this is talking about the king of Persia, king of Persia was going to hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. So an open letter, verse This is for everybody to read. This is public. This is a tweet. This is a Facebook post. This is going on the Instagram. I mean, this is, these guys are going public with these accusations. And the accusations are about selfishness and sedition. Selfishness. Nehemiah, this guy just wants to make himself king. This is a power grab in Judah, okay? The second accusation is that of sedition. All of this stuff that Nehemiah is doing, it's all laying the groundwork for rebellion. They are going to challenge the Persian Empire. And that would cause a reaction. People would get afraid about that. People would feel, oh my goodness, because if you try to rebel against Persia, what do you think Persia is going to do? They're going to smash you like a mosquito, man. They're going to crush you. And so this got the people worked up. It's very official sounding, you know. It's a report, you know, just say there's reports going around the nations tell, saying that all this stuff is true. So first off, they get this word out that Nehemiah is trying to set himself up as king. Second, that he's trying to do this seditious plot to, to, ta- to, to be independent of Persia. And so it's very dangerous, all of this. He and his partners are committing treason according to these reports. So, uh, Nehemiah, this time, he can't just ignore, right? He, these are, this is an open letter. This is traveling around. People are hearing this. People are seeing this. So he can't just ignore this and say, no, I'm not going to respond to this. He has to get involved in this one. Verses 8 and 9, I sent to him saying, Sanballat saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind, okay? Um, For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. Once again, Nehemiah prays, but now, O God, strengthen my hands. So Nehemiah's response, it's not verbose. He doesn't provide, you know, a 20-page response to this. This is a legal brief. His brief, his response is not true. None of that is true. Reminds me of the young gifted painter who for the first time was putting his works on display in a gallery and this notorious art critic shows up. And this notorious art critic is looking at all of this young painter's work. And then he walks over to the young painter and he says, Would you like to hear what I have to say about your work? Do you want my opinion? The painter said, Yes. The critic said, It's worthless. The painter said, I know, but I still want to hear. (laughs) So Nehemiah, Nehemiah makes it clear I've heard your report, and it's garbage, you know. That's going in file 13, all right? Uh, So he did what he always did. He praised to God. The final tactic, so we're circling back around. The final tactic is uh, is more going to a clandestine tactic uh, on the character of Nehemiah. Uh, Tobiah and Sanballat bribed a prophet to tell Nehemiah, God has shown me that your enemies are going to try to kill you, and so you need to go to the temple and hide. Just live for a while in the temple. Hide out until the threat is gone. Nehemiah saw right through this. Um, If he went and hid in the temple, one, he would look like a, a coward, right? There he is, hiding out. Number two, this would be against God's law. I mean, we could get into that, but you don't get to go, especially if you're not a priest or something, you're not going to go live in the temple, okay? So Nehemiah 6, 11 to 13. Nehemiah, I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go to the temple and live? I mean, that's against the law of God, right? I won't go in. 
And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, the guy was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. You know, they're trying to, they're trying to do a, a knee sweep. They're trying to take him out character-wise at this point. And so his enemies, again, throw in everything but the kitchen sink at this guy. He is under constant, constant, constant attack. Are you seeing that here? And in the final verses of, of chapter 6, we get this kind of overall picture. All of these rumors and innuendos and attacks, they're circling all the time around this guy. And the people doing the circling are influential these are the nobles. These are the local leaders. So here we go, verses 11 to 13. I said, okay, let's go, let's go on to the final part, verse 17. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. I mean, they need Tobiah. They're connected to Tobiah. He's a business partner. They sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehohanan and the do- had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. It's like spying as going on here. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So this is going on all the time. A lot of fun, right? For, for Nehemiah, I'm on God's mission. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And this is what I get, you know? Um, so I, don't, I know the names of, of these people. They're weird and stuff. And they don't mean a lot to us today, but they did. <laughs> At that time, they meant a lot. These are names that would be recognized. They were, these were important people, nobles in the area. These were the people that got stuff done in that part of the world. So to finish out our time in God's Word this morning, I thought we would just step back, look at chapter 6, and talk a little bit about how do we handle our haters. How do we handle unfair, untrue criticism? What is a godly response to that? And the first thing I see is we take the situation to God in prayer. That's what Nehemiah does. God strengthen my hands. He takes it to God in prayer. Here's another one. Stay focused. Don't let your critics pull you off your mission, off your calling, off what you are supposed to be doing. Um, Another one we see is don't let falsehoods just circulate. Doesn't mean you need to say a lot about it, but you need to say, that's not true. That's not true. When his enemies go public with all this nonsense about rebellion and about him trying to make himself king, totally untrue, um, Nehemiah doesn't have a lot to say. But he does say, you're making that up. That's an invention. That's not happening. Uh, The next thing would be take courage. I think this is so important. Those who do big things can expect to be criticized, right? I mean, Nehemiah is being criticized because he's getting her done. They're in Judah. He's getting those walls built. Uh, Did Jesus get criticized, right? Uh, Constantly. And Jesus was perfect, right? I mean, if Jesus, who is perfect, was getting criticized, we can expect that as well. In fact, Jesus, my translation of this would be, Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to have some haters. This is what he said in John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it is because it hated me before it hated you. So don't be surprised, okay? In other words, don't be surprised when, when Jesus, uh, when, when we get criticized as faithful followers of Jesus. The only way for Nehemiah to escape criticism would have been for him to abandon the work of God. That's the only way he gets out of all of these attacks. Criticism avoidance is not a good goal, right? Criticism avoidance in life, not a good goal. The path of least resistance gets very little done in life. Here we go. Another thing, verse 14. Don't seek revenge, rather leave it to God. Nehemiah's hurt. I think we could probably surmise he's a bit angry here. What he does, instead of lashing out, he just takes these names before God and he says, God, you, you deal with these people. 
You, you repay them for what they're doing. I'm going to leave it up to you, Father. And then for us as disciples of Jesus, so this is not right out of Nehemiah 6. As disciples of Jesus, though, we pray for our haters. We pray for our haters. Matthew 5, verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, that first part may sound like a pretty big mountain to climb. I have to love my enemies. That's going to be something we're going to work on our entire lives, okay? But you can do the very practical thing Jesus mentions there, which is pray for them. You can, by name, pray for those who are persecuting you. Which gets us to the gospel. Jesus surrendered himself. Surrendered himself to his enemies. Arrested. Put on trial. Murdered. So that we would no longer be enemies of God. But we would be cherished children of God. Thank you, Jesus, for that sacrifice. He was hauled, Jesus, outside of those walls that Nehemiah is completing here in chapter 6. He is hauled outside of those walls by his enemies where he will become a perfect atoning sacrifice for you and me. And as he's dying, remember, Jesus prayed for those committing acts of violence against him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And when he rose from death to life on the third day, Jesus proved once and for all, love really does conquer all. This morning, it may be time to give your life to Jesus, to be baptized into the gospel of Christ, into his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and to begin living as a child of God. He paid the price so you could do that. Maybe you just need the prayers of this church this morning. However you need to respond, do that as we stand together and worship. Over all the earth you reign on high, every mountain stream, every sunset sky, but my one request, Lord, my only aim is that you reign. seated for a second. Thank you, Gordon. We appreciate your series and all your efforts. We thank you for bringing us the word. Thanks for everyone for worshiping with us this morning. We're glad that you are here and hope that you feel that you have been blessed for having been here. Before we're dismissed, I want to make a, an announcement from the elders regarding plans uh, for the upcoming worship services and other activities here at Preston Crest and the campus. First, the elders want to thank each and every one of you for your patience and understanding over the past year as we have sought through prayer and study to navigate through this unimaginable pandemic that we have all faced 
As a congregation, you have exemplified the grace of our Lord through this time. Beginning Sunday, May 2nd, face coverings will be optional for all people in all worship services and in all areas of the campus. Bible classes will be made based on the determination of the face covering policies in their own class based on their specific circumstances. We'll continue to offer streaming worship services for those who are uncomfortable being around those without face coverings or if you're not feeling well. Thank you for supporting us over this past year. And we ask that you honor those who choose to no longer wear a mask and to respect those who choose to continue. This decision was not made lightly, but with much prayer and deliberation. We are grateful for the answered prayers, for the availability of effective vaccines, as well as the declining number of cases in our community. We'll continue to monitor the situation, and we ask you to join us in continuous prayer as we move forward, asking for God's guidance and protection in the weeks and months ahead. Now, as we close our worship, if you will, go ahead and stand. And we're going to invite Blake Nichols. You met him earlier. He's the son of Chris and Emily Nichols. And he will read our take-home verse this, today. Hi. On behalf of the senior class, I'd like to thank all of you for your continued generosity and support uh, for all of us throughout our years at this church. Uh, today's take-home verse is Nehemiah 9, 6 through 7. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all of their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. The host of heaven worships you. You are dismissed. <laughs> 